Hey y'all, hey! Welcome back to another episode of the Why Don't We Talk About This podcast. I'm your host, Paula Zanelin Perez, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist. September is a National Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month um, in New York City, where I am located. Um, it's a fairly big deal, and for a good cause. As a mental health professional, I know that it is not an easy topic to discuss, but this is the Why Don't We Talk About This podcast, so I'm going to talk a little bit about it. I think some of the most important takeaways for anyone, layperson, that is not a mental health professional to know is some of the facts surrounding suicide, so I'm just going to start there. It's the fourth leading cause of death for individuals between the age of 15 to 34 years old. In New York City, I can't speak about the national statistics, but I do encourage you to look those up if this is an area of interest for you. So, sixth for individuals between 35 to 44. So, the sixth leading cause of death. And unfortunately, there were more suicides in New York City in the last calendar year than there were homicides. A lot of what happens with suicide awareness and prevention is just changing the conversation. And to be perfectly honest with you, it's about starting the conversation. Because prevention isn't about death and dying, but the focus we need to place on it is more about life and living, exploring what those options can look like, feel like, and also figuring out what are the ways that we can support folks in getting through those difficult times? What are the resources that they may have available or accessible to them to support? And to be honest with you, this is the thing that really trips up most people. And I'm going to say it might not be a popular opinion, but anyone can experience this. You can, anyone can experience a depressive episode, something that's super stressful or traumatic that could lead to suicide, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it will. And to be perfectly honest, like crystal clear, there has been a lot of negative connotation around individuals who decide to commit suicide, but it doesn't matter your standing, your level of education, your faith, Um, your socioeconomic status, or even the relationships that you have with others, whether they are platonic or romantic. This is something that can affect anyone in any walk of life for a variety of different reasons. Sometimes there are some elements that can help us identify, but there is no one root cause, no specific behavior. I have heard individuals say things like, oh, well, they're depressed and suicidal. And usually, especially as someone who has worked with youth for many years, what's your proof? Or how do you know? Because a lot of times we have ideas of what's going on in people's lives, or they may be moving around with a somber or, as it has been described, depressed demeanor, but that doesn't necessarily mean that someone's suicidal. A situation had transpired Um, where someone was in what their partner described as a positive relationship, recently was promoted at work, came back from an amazing vacation, but they knew that they wanted to end their own life and they were making arrangements for their fiancé to be taken care of. They were taking care of their last-minute affairs and no one knew. And it was very shocking and disturbing and 
I don't want to say surprising, but it was surprising to the individuals that were involved because they thought that based on what they saw, this person was happy in life. They had things to look forward to. So it was very, um, I'm trying not to say the word surprising, but that keeps coming up. Um, but it, it came out of the blue for a lot of their support system, their friends and family members that love them, that they were struggling so deeply and masking so hard that they had no idea. And the people left behind ended up blaming themselves when it absolutely had nothing to do with them or anything that they were doing for this individual. And that can feel really hard. And yes, maybe had they known that there were some actions that they could have taken to support this person, but that isn't always the case. So one of the things that we can also keep in mind, just so that we can be doing things to the best of our ability, are just being honest with ourselves about recognizing what are some things in our environment or what are some things in our life circumstances that may increase someone's risk for suicidal behavior. Or what are some of the states of mind of someone or even warning signs of maybe depression that could be so significant that suicidal ideation could come up. So another upsetting fact is that over 5 million Americans have attempted suicide. That's just the attempt. And individuals who identify as women will attempt three times more frequently than those who identify as men. But when men attempt, they are four times more likely to die. Part of the reason for this statistic is that men more often than not will use firearms. Um, but I do believe that there is some changing research um, based on a few demographics why this may or may not actually be the case as of right now in 2023 when I am recording this. Now, thinking about that statement, if there are researchers who are looking at some of the patterns of suicides that have been completed, um, one of the things that they have been able to identify is that it is substantially higher. So this unfortunately takes place after there has been a discharge from the hospital. Now we know that while hospitalized, there is limited access to things that could help with the completion. But I think it's also important to identify that sometimes there aren't always structures or supports in place soon after discharge. Some individuals, depending on a variety of different factors, they may not have any place to go that is supportive or the places that are supportive, they may not be in the place to even isolate or identify that help. So if you are in a place or a space to observe these behaviors, identifying what are some ways that you can support yourself as you support others can be extremely impactful. As a mental health professional and someone that says, hey, all you have to do is just be present. One of the things that I can say that I feel comfortable giving uh, feedback to anyone is, you know what? You are legit unable to listen if you're doing all the talking. So sometimes you'd be very surprised at the information that you get when you're just listening. And I know some of y'all are like, yeah, but sometimes so-and-so doesn't really talk that much or they talk about things that might not be relevant or they're not talking about things that would give me an indicator. Pay attention to what you're hearing and compare that to what you're not hearing. 
sometimes that could be like the difference between just you know asking a question where somebody is like oh damn like they were really paying attention and for someone like me that's neurodivergent and they're like yo how is she a therapist like <laughs> you'd be surprised at some of the things that I pick up out of the session and even some of my clients are like oh damn and when I was a trauma therapist that was extremely impactful because body language tells things that sometimes no words can so I encourage you if this is something that is within your wheelhouse or you have had some experience think about that listening piece what does it look like and feel like for you as you're listening position stance hopefully you know just being in an open posture ready and willing to be available and available looks different to different people so that's another thing that you know you can take into consideration not just in terms of suicide prevention but how you're showing up with individuals in your life especially the ones that you care about for the most part so a lot of times another piece of this is because we don't understand another person's thoughts or even the ways that they choose to express themselves. So for those of you who are parents or for those of you who it hasn't been so long since maybe you were teenagers, these were major themes that came up. We don't get or support or identify with the way that people are expressing themselves. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're irrational. That doesn't mean that they have these negative connotations, that they're crazy, that they are suicidal or homicidal. So I think it can be really important for us to be clear about what our own biases are, what our environment, our culture, our religion has taught us, and the fact that that is not the actual truth and reality for everyone and what could be something that is within your scope. I'm not asking you to come out of your comfort zone and challenge yourself for another situation or another person. I'm asking you to do that for yourself so that you are aware if and when a situation presents itself, if you are equipped to begin to address it or if you're not and hopefully can identify somebody that can. So, unfortunately, previous suicide attempts are a good indicator of suicide risk. Individuals may also misuse and or abuse alcohol and other substances. That's usually a factor in around, I'd say, 30% of all suicides. And I think that one of the biggest themes, and you know, this is something that we were taught in school and in a lot of the trainings too, is that having easy access to lethal means increases the risk especially with individuals who have diagnosed depression. Now, it could be undiagnosed, but think about what you have in your house that, God forbid, can take a life. And you may want to make sure that those instruments or those tools or those pills or anything that falls within that guise within your home is in a safe place that is not accessible or a locked drawer, or any other secure location that only you have access to. So this is something that I say too often, and sometimes people don't listen, and it always hits them in different ways, in different parts of their life. But we don't know what people are thinking, and we don't know what people are feeling unless we are told but even when you think you do, based on what you have heard and seen, it is always about them and not about you. Many, many times as individuals, we're just wired this way. 
that we think it is about us. And that's not always because someone is manifesting as a selfish individual, but because we're humans too. We have feelings. We want to feel included. We want to be a part of something. So sometimes it's very easy to turn things inward on us. I do encourage you, if you catch yourself in that line of thinking, don't beat yourself up about it. Be like, all right, this isn't about me. Or this is about so-and-so. Or how do I shift the focus? Because sometimes showing up in that way, in that present moment, can be really helpful. So I don't know if many of you have heard the term postvention, um, <laughs> which I'm not in love with. I feel like there could be a, a better flow of the word, especially as we're you know talking about a ugh, sorry we're talking about awareness, which is part of the reason I'm having this conversation. But postvention, intervention, post you know. Um, we're trying to ease some of the impacts, some of the effects of losses by suicide. And that's really challenging. And for those of you who have ever lost someone, regardless to how it took place, you know that the grieving process was probably one of the most painful things that you have ever gone through. And as many folks have said, and you that have gone through the grieving process have also been able to identify is that no two people grieve alike. So one of the ways that we try to do that with respect to suicide is increasing things like protective factors or mitigating strengths, which is which are terms that helping professionals know well. But basically all it is is increasing access to a support network or your support system or your circle, like some people like to call it. Because even though it can feel exhausting to talk about resilience and building yourself back up, using coping tools that make sense for you, like what is in your toolkit that works for you, that very well may not work for me, can be instrumental. There are individuals who participate in a faith or who have a spiritual belief system. Identifying that support can also be instrumental. What are the activities that you or your knowledge of the other person that have engaged in that left them feeling good or rejuvenated or feeling that sense of purpose? Either maintaining those activities or rejoining them, even if it's just one thing on a small scope, can definitely support. And another benefit of all these things that I've mentioned too is that it lowers isolation. A lot of times when we're going through it and we're by ourselves, alone with our thoughts or our anxiety or our depression and they start talking to us, it can feel extremely daunting when you don't have a sounding board or someone to put additional thoughts, activities, or distractions in your mind if you're not able to access your toolkit in that moment. Um, And even this isn't a popular one with youth and Let me not say it's not popular with youth. It has historically not been popular with the youth that I have worked with, but there are um, a variety of different resources like hotlines, um, the crisis text line um, that can also be accessed not just through um, your own phone with your text service. They have Facebook and, and WhatsApp features now that you can access them as well. Um, Support groups or therapy or some individuals also utilize coaching or speaking to somebody that you know is going to be a non-judgmental resource 
can also be extremely helpful. So these are some of the protective factors that I was talking about because I know sometimes it can feel overwhelming when you're not sure who to reach out to or how to access. So I say this in my personal life. I say this to clients. Just start with one thing. We have the bad habit, <laughs> and I think this also speaks to you know the joys of society, making us think that we have to do all the things all the time. Just start with one thing. It may need revision. It may need time to come to fruition. But just one thing. So. So. Another sad reality is that most people who attempt suicide don't want to die. And I know you're thinking, all right, well, if I don't want to die, why would I even go through all of this? Why would I make the, the effort? Think about a time in your life where you felt so overwhelmed by everything that was going on or you just felt like, damn, yo, I can't catch a break. Like, I just keep going through it. Or if you are in pain and that could be physical pain, that could be emotional pain. And despite your best efforts, you can't figure out how to turn it off. And then something changes and things start getting better. Sometimes some of us don't get the peace where it starts feeling better or the peace where it starts feeling better is around the corner or down the block or up a hill and we can't even imagine what it's supposed to be if it could be if it's a reality so I just want you to keep that in mind it can be really challenging to be like nah like but they wanted to do that sometimes you just feel like you're out of resources you are out of possibilities and unfortunately sometimes suicide becomes that possibility or the attempt rather becomes uh the possibility so this is another thing that's a caveat that's personal to me and it was a quote and i don't know who said it and if any of y'all that are listening know who said it please feel free to let me know so i can give proper credit silence is meant to be shared and not filled. That is a statement that I learned when I was in grad school. And at the time, I was just like, all right, like I get it, but I didn't really. Because a lot of us, and <laughs> for a long time I was included in the us, felt uncomfortable when it got too silent. Or when someone said or did something that may have been surprising. Or you're like, yo, this is outlandish. Or, oh my god, this person is like wildin'. Or they're doing this for a reaction. I'm not going to give them one. A lot of times, that's not always the case. Sometimes we just do need to sit in the silence. Give us a moment to process. Reflect on what is actually happening. What we're feeling about what we just saw or heard giving the other individual a time or a moment to kind of like decide is something going to come next? What comes next? Do I want to solicit something? Do I just want to sit here? And that could feel really uncomfortable, especially if something that was just recently shared was just like an oh my God moment. Sit in the space. I encourage you to just try it out. Even if it's not something related to what I'm talking about now, but as you're having conversations in your day-to-day, whether it's with work, friends, intimate partner, your children, sit for a minute with it. It could be helpful. And you might even learn something about yourself. 
So, um, I'm just trying to think of what are some other important things I think might be important for you to know. Um, oh, this is also something I learned around working with youth. Talking about suicide with someone in distress doesn't make them suicidal. So you're not going to, you know, share any information or statistics about suicide or, you know, share a social media post about suicide awareness and then it's going to make somebody decide to come up with a plan and commit suicide. Like, that's not a thing that's going to happen. Um, it can feel hard to believe that to be true, especially if that does kind of shake out into something else. But in that instance, it very well could be possible that there was a plan in motion before you even said anything. And no one person makes another person commit suicide. Like, it doesn't make them suicidal. And I know that you're like, I don't know. There's data on this. I do encourage you to do your research with some reputable sources. Okay. Um, so here are just some general statistics, and um, these can be found online from reputable sources. And I think it's important to just share. Uh, SAMHSA is a wonderful resource. And these are some of the things that were shared. 16% of adults age 18 or older did not know where to go for services. 15% identified that they did not have the time. 8% felt that they might cause neighbors or other members of their community to have a negative opinion of them if they reached out for some mental health services. 7% did not want other people just in general to find out. 7% identified that they felt that there would be a negative impact or a negative effect rather on their current job. 7% had a fear of being committed to a hospital or having to take a medication and 6% were concerned about confidentiality. Now, these percentages are based on 4.9 million adults. Now, I know a part of this is just like, okay, these numbers are kind of low. But if you were to do the math on the percentages that I just shared and 4.9 million adults, depending on where you live, that's a significant amount of individuals. And a good portion of them that are not wanting to follow up with receiving mental health services, suicide or not, is rooted in things that have a, historically a lack of understanding and education surrounding them, which is part of the reason it can be really important to talk about these things, because it is a benefit. You'll hear people talk about, oh, this person needs therapy, or you need to go heal. And yeah, that is a personal opinion. Well, one thing I suggest and I share with anyone who will listen, myself included, because I am a mental health professional who actively engages in therapy, is that it can benefit you. Unless you have an absolutely awful therapist, which I hope no, none of you that are listening right now ever have, therapy can only be a benefit. It can enhance what you have. It can teach you skills. It can be a sounding board. It can be your own specific quiet time that is just for you, only about you. It can be only be a benefit. So when I hear these statistics and reasons that people don't want to engage in mental health care, 
I want to talk about, like, what's your biggest fear and what can I do to support you? And even share some of this data because sometimes ignorance isn't an ugly word. It just means a lack of education. So part of what we're doing here, part of what you're doing by even listening to this is gaining some education about something that is so impactful that there's a whole month dedicated to it so that we can reduce suicide, increase awareness, and increase prevention. So, with that being said, if we want to reduce the number of suicides that take place and we want to save lives, then our primary goal needs to be to reduce some of the access to the lethal means I mentioned earlier and increase those protective factors and those mitigating strengths. If you're not sure how to do that, that's cool. There are people and places that can help. I encourage you to look at the show notes because I will be adding additional resources that can be helpful in your journey. And until next time. The Why Don't We Talk About This podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only and is not a substitute for mental health care. It is hosted by me, Paula McMillan-Perez, and is produced by Fonzie Tri Media.